Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We also want to let you know that you can now join our patron program. It starts from £5 a month to £10 or £20, depending on uh, what you want. Each tier allows you slightly different levels of access. Uh, depending on which one you choose, you can enjoy early access to podcast episodes, exclusive member benefits, merchandise, shout-outs, and your chance to feature on one of our shows. Any support you can give us is massively appreciated and will help us grow and continue to bring cool content to race fans all over the world. Uh, You can find the link on our socials. Just search for Motormouth or go to patreon.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe and you can also leave us a review. Download the Motormouth app where you can get live race times, exclusive video content from MMTV. Create your own social profile and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. So here we are, episode 15 of the Motormouth podcast. Podcast hosted by me, Tim Sylvia. Alongside me, all as always, is future West End Star radio DJ and motorsport aficionado Harry Benjamin. West End Star, that is, uh, yeah. Well, maybe one day. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> this week, we're in the presence of someone who can genuinely be placed into the category of racing legend, a household name who has raced at the very top of motorsports. Mark Blundell is a British racing driver who uh, raced four seasons, correct me if I'm wrong, of Formula One and is a winner of the famous Le Mans 24-hour race. He's been an F1 broadcaster and only recently hung up his hat after a stint in British touring cars. However, we've not yet seen the end of Mr. Blundell, who has announced that he's returning to the track, this time as the boss and sporting director of his own team, MB Motorsport, alongside Sean Hullenby. The team will make its debut at the BTC see opener at Donington. When he's not doing that, he has put down his racing lid and done, dons the business hat as founder and CEO of MB Partners, managing the careers of a roster of sporting stars. He is a busy, busy man. Ladies and gents, a massive motormouth. Welcome to the man, the myth, the legend, Mark Blundell. Big round of applause there, Mark. <laughs> Welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> the wonders of technology. It's Isn't amazing. It this little thing here is brilliant. I'll we love that. this. There's <laughs> plenty of silly little any results on track. That would have been yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. So, Mark, thank you for coming on. Thank you for joining us. Um, let's take it back a bit. Let's take it back to your youth. Was it always going to be racing? Was it in your blood? Did you know that's what you were going to do when you were a young lad? Uh, short answer for that is no, I didn't. Um, and the basis of that is my family had no involvement whatsoever with motorsport. Uh, my grandfather on one side was a, a coalman. Right. Grandfather on the other side was a train driver. Uh, and my dad actually, by trade, was a panel beater and sprayer. Right. Wow. So, um, so none base, at all. Well, <laughs> and, and basically what happened is from these, uh, his, his professional panel beater and sprayer, he managed to buy his first car. He did it up, sold it, bought another one, did it up, sold it, bought two, and became a second-hand car dealer. Right which then gave the passion as a youngster about cars. Yeah. But it wasn't really about motor racing. It was about cars. You know, I, I'd sit in the back of a car and look at headlights in the dark and I could tell what the make and model was and yeah. maybe even a year. Um, still a bit of a kid like that now, actually. But it's, um, yeah, it was driven off the back of, of purely about cars. Uh, got to a point in my... I was going to say education, but the, the fact of the matter is I didn't really have an education because I never went to school. Right. I think I visited Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> visited. Uh, yeah. Mondays <laughs> was uh, washing down the uh, the motorbike and Fridays was preparing it ready for the weekend's races. Yeah. And at that age of 14, I was doing what they call uh, motocross. Yes. Yeah. Scrambling. 
Um, lived in a rural area, so that was kind of the, the gig back then. You know, the kids had a bike and we all went out in the fields. Where was home? What part of the country is this? So this is just outside of a little uh, market town called Royston in Hertfordshire. Yeah. Uh, and in between there and Cambridge. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to say, yeah, I was Cambridge educated, but that is far from the truth. Uh, but, you know, that's where it all started in terms of passion for speed. Right. Um, and then actually sitting on a cushion at eight years old, running around a garage forecourt, totally illegal. Uh, but that's how I learned to drive. Amazing. And uh, I think learned at eight and crashing by nine. So there you go. That's so your dad perfect. was letting you have a go in a few cars, was he? He was sort of getting behind the wheel and sitting on his lap and chundling around. Do you know what, Tim? I mean, my, my, my dad passed away a few years ago, but um, it was only up until very recently that I told him the truth that I actually used to go out on the open roads at 13, 14 years old. Um, <laughs> we don't condone that, children. Yeah, uh, we don't. Uh, and you should never do that. And... Um, <laughs> and let me scrap that and take that back. But actually, uh, <laughs> no, because I, I used to steal the keys. You know, back in those days, you'd have a, you'd have a, you'd have a, a cupboard, yeah. and the cupboard would be filled up with car keys, and it'd be hanging up there. And of course, I would walk in there as a youngster and take the keys that I liked, which equated to something very nice in the forecourt. And uh, lo and behold, you know, those late little uh, evening hours, I'd just go down there and. Well, what, what, what were you driving? Oh, I, what was I, I, I took a Ferrari out. I took oh. a Ferrari out. Fourteen years old. Fourteen, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, luckily it was local, uh, you know, local sort of little rural area. Yeah. Not many pe- police uh, about, but um, yeah. But as I say, I wouldn't uh, recommend that to uh, anybody today. Absolutely and, not. Of course um, not. No, we're very sensible here. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that as hypothetical only. Yes. yes. So the, these fast cars are coming into your life from a, from a young age. So where does uh, the, the first stop off is? I suppose your your build up to Formula One. So how? What is that? Route you basically you mentioned motocross and, and motorcycles obviously in, in your blood as well. So how where's that going? Yeah, I mean I had, a, I had a passion for speed and and mm. uh, you know and, and more than anything else, I said to you like academically I was useless. So <laughs> using my hands, put things together, and I'll take them apart and try and put them back together. Yeah, that sort of uh, stimulated me. The the motorsport side came from a friend of my dad who also was a car dealer. Uh, but was a motorsport enthusiast. So he used to take me at some weekends up to places like Snetterton, Brands Hatch. I'd watch motor racing. That started to give me a bit of a, a following for it and a bit of a passion. Um, and we got to a stage where I was in 17, uh, just turned 17, could have gone sort of professional in motocross because I was a top 36 rider at schoolboy level. Yeah, right. Kind of didn't like the fact that I kept falling off and sort of hurt myself and washing off mud off the bike yeah, every week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, looked at this thing called motor racing. And actually, at that point, we thought that Formula 3 was the entry level at motorsport. And everybody kind of looked at us bizarrely and said, like, you're kidding. That's, you know, that's up the food chain. So you have yeah. to start at what we call Formula Ford 1600. And um, we only found that out when we visited the race car show, which I think back then was in Alexandra Palace. I think that's where it was yeah, held back yeah. then. Um, and found out that we had a local manufacturer, which was called Lola. Mm-hmm. And Lola cars were about 20 minutes away from where we were. Uh, met a very nice man called Mike Blanchet, who is still friends today. And in fact, I saw him at the back end of last year. And we sat down, as we do every other year, kind of thing, and catch up. And he was the guy that sold us our first little race car. Right. Amazing. Uh, and that's where it all started. But your progression through to Formula One and Williams and testing and, and Brabham and so on and so forth, that happened really quickly, didn't it? This, this process from jumping in a car for the first time to getting to become an F1 driver was actually quite a quick process. I, I, looking back on it now, you, you do look back and actually, you know, you, you compare it to today 
and you see your, your Max Verstappens and that turn, turn up. And, yeah. But actually, from when I did it, I did it extremely quickly. Yeah. Because it was 1984 I started in motor racing, Formula 4 1600. And by 1989, I was sitting testing a Formula 1 car with Williams. Yeah, yeah. You know, very quick transition. Um, but, you know, it, things have changed, obviously, and simulators and PlayStations, and they seem to come in when they've still got nappies on. But that's, uh, uh. that's, 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 that's another story. But, um, yeah, it was, it was fast, but it was... Uh, it was enjoyable um, and memorable. Some good times, some bad times. Yeah, you know, and you've made no secret of the fact that you perhaps didn't make the right decision when you when you had the opportunity with Williams to take it further. No, listen, I, I, I didn't have anybody around me in the family that understood motorsport yeah. and we didn't have any contacts or network. And there's no driver manager there to, it, telling you what's exactly what. Exactly that. And if we'd have had somebody with an insight and a network and contact that could have actually had some level of experience to reflect with us and say, hey, you know, you're holding a, a multi-year contract with the Williams Grand Prix team and we can see that the future is that maybe the race driver on that side of the garage is not going to be there in a yeah. year's time. And actually, I know the guys well enough that they've already given me a heads up because they're happy with what you're doing. Sit tight. Yeah. yeah. fact of the matter is, I did a good job for them so good that Brabham came along and offered me a seat and you thought here we go exactly that I think 21 years old or so I'm 22 and I'm thinking like wow I've made it I'm going to be a Formula 1 driver they're going to pay me a salary uh, why should I not take the opportunity and I suppose even more frustrating for you now in your current position and one of your the, the hats that you wear at MV Partners where you're managing the careers of racing drivers and you can sit you can foresee these things and you're advising and now you can probably look back and think what, what was well, I doing it's really easy Tim I just look back at all the decisions I made and just do the opposite and they're fine <laughs> yeah? so it's a simple process but um, you know listen I, I, I did that I made the move at the time it felt the right move yeah. um, I also picked the phone up to my buddy at the time Damon Hill yeah. I said hey mate you know I gave you a heads up when I left F3000 and he took my seat there I'm giving you another heads up Williams are going to have a slot because I'm off oh my god so, so you're you're a nice driver as well well uh, I, I like to think so but um, you know I'm sure somewhere along the line you know, having you know and still in the management business I, I probably sh I probably managed Damon at a very early age yeah. I didn't know about it that, yeah. Yeah. well yeah. you've got him a seat yeah Job done. And he still hasn't paid me. Yeah. What's all that about? That come invoice on, is still waiting. It's still in the post. <laughs> Last thing, so you, you, grow, you, you go into Formula 1, you don't have that big network that a lot of people do, especially nowadays. People are coming in, buying their end, they've got huge management teams around them. How how did you deal with not having that network? Was it difficult to build up relationships to begin with? Because you're racing in you know a golden era of Formula 1 as well. You've got these big names that are emerging, Damon Hill, as you say. Mm. Uh, Mika Hakkinen was your teammate at one point as well. How do you go into that? In, what mindset are you having in terms of building that relationship? Well, I mean, you know, the, the issue is that you've got to first and foremost go in and prove yourself. Yes. Uh, you know, the biggest uh, way of doing that is against your teammate. Mm -hmm. So I'm up against another guy called Martin Brundle, yeah, yeah, which is you know similar names. We come from the same part of the country. Um, the branding same, nightmare, exactly. <laughs> very similar background, and he was already the established star, you know. Uh, so I did okay. Uh, I think that got recognised. But what I did understand and recognise, in which you know I, I still owe that to my my late father, is that he made sure that look, you know, wherever you go build those relationships because you never know when they might come in handy Absolutely. in the future. Yeah. You know, and it's the old cliche, you know, you meet everybody in a way up, but rest assured you're going to meet them on the way down. Yeah. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that I walked into Williams from my relationship I built up with a guy called John McDonald. John was a former F1 team owner with Ram. 
was also running in the F3000 team that I was driving for. He liked me. I got on well with him. He said, look, you know, I think you could go in and do something for the Williams guys. And he introduced me to Frank Williams. Later on, he was then at Brabham. So, of course, he came back to see me. He said, right, I've been watching what you're doing. You should be a Grand Prix driver of Brabham. Yeah. Uh, So those relationships already were starting to pay back. And with Brabham, I suppose it was a case of, okay, got, got the seats but perhaps Brabham didn't have the funds that were expected or didn't necessarily have the money that they they, they the said they had. Uh, well, listen, when I, when I, when I tell you that the, you know, myself and Brundle turned up in Tokyo to do a press conference and uh, the team owner, a guy called, I think, Koji Nikuchi, I think that was his name, um, he picked us up, which we thought was a bit strange because, you know, he's supposed to be like a billionaire or something. We thought we may have chauffeur or something like that. Mm. But he was there waiting at the airport and um, we then got to the car park and got to the car and it was a, an SD1 Rover. Mm. You know, I looked at him, he looked at me and we both sort of looked in each other's eyes and went, what do you think, like 800 quid's worth? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. And, I, and at that point, we looked at each other and was like, oh, this is going to be a long season. Mm. Yeah, because you could tell that perception is said like there's a lot of money. Reality was the budget was not there, which turned out for me on a couple of occasions during that season, sitting in the factory in Chessington, waiting all day for another cheque to be written for my salary because the cheque had bounced. God. Yeah. Those are the things that you don't yeah, hear about. No, you don't. But they're the things that don't kind of go on anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Brabham are back, of course, aren't they? He's got, um, what's the car called? B60... Obviously, as Harry mentioned, it was a golden era mm. in Formula One, um, a very different place to where it is now. What's your take on the, the modern Formula One? Uh, oh. Do you watch it? Are you, God's you, know, are you there truth, every Sunday? God's honest truth, I do not watch Grand Prix mm. religiously anymore. Yeah. Um, the, and the biggest reason for that, I tell you, is, is, is I'm still a bit of a purist. So I want to see will-to-will combat. Yeah. I want to see guys battling into turn one, mm. you know, seeing the meeting in the mines, see who's got the bigger undercarriage that's going to actually push them into the corner first. Yeah. Yeah. And see who comes out the other end. And, and, and that's what I want to watch. Yeah. And, and I don't see that anymore. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more processional. It's not for me value for money in terms of entertainment over two hours. And the biggest bugbear I have now today is that it's predictable. Mm. and sport for me should never ever be predictable no I mean it'll be interesting to see we we, we had a podcast before this with Jenny Gow but we were having a, a chat about um, Formula 1 with her and the new regulations that are coming in in 2021 and whether this is going to make a difference and liven things up a bit allow cars to get a bit closer and less of that dirty air so I'm sort of hopeful that in 2021 we're going to see a big change obviously the cars are going to look completely different from mm. the start do you foresee a big change or do you think it will just end up being same old, same old Mercedes, Ferrari up there at the front with Red Bull and, you know, well, processional uh, racing? Uh, listen, historically, there's always been the big teams, the small teams, and they've always been budget-led. And that and, always and, be the way, yeah. yeah. and the big budget always makes sure that you can go and buy the best designer, the best engine guy, the package. So I don't think you're going to see much of a change in that side of things. Um, what's gone on, though, don't forget, is that you've got this technology that's been, you know, F1 is the pinnacle of motorsport and also cutting edge and, and has been you know development platform for so many things which is fantastic because we've seen many of those being put into a road car and enhanced safety but what's happened along the way is that more and more of the human input yeah. has been taken away yeah so 
you know, I, I remember you run Monaco and you do 14,000 gear changes, whatever. Yeah, and you're is. exhausted. And you're exhausted and there's a hole in your hand, a hole through your glove. Mm. Uh, but you know what? During that race, you may miss gear four times. Yeah. And that human error gave a guy behind you a run on you and then that's it, opportunity taken. So, you know, it may have not been by, you know, fundamental speed increase from the guy behind. It could have been by human error and human, sure. you know, misjudgment that caused a, an opportunity. And, and that now you don't see. Because if it misses gear, within a nanosecond, it's re-engaged. Yeah. And with another nanosecond, yeah. Control. I think yeah. a lot of people, especially who I know that aren't immersed in the motorsport world, but, you know, they love their sports, they don't often see motorsport stars, Formula One drivers as, you know, even athletes. Because even though they've mm. got to be... A, peak physical fitness when you watch a modern day Formula 1 race it's very difficult to see oh they just sat there driving it's, it. it's they're not, not doing it there's none of that old, hard, old school stuff if you're in Singapore and it's boiling hot and you do 70 laps you're, you're going to be knackered but yeah. I met with Ma I used to manage Max Chilton little, I, I always start talking about my management <laughs> names. and uh, he, he used to say to me it's actually these cars are easy like I'm, I'm not tired on, on a normal day on a not a humid track you know where the, the, it's billion degrees mm. I get out of the car and I feel alright mm. I, I think, uh, you know, listen, uh, power steering was just coming in as I was sort of leaving yeah. and, and the, the physical attributes were lessened from having those uh, performance enhancements by, you know, by, say, power steering, for example. But uh, saying that, the corner speeds have gone up significantly. Yeah. There is a lot more force going through the body, yeah, the braking distances. Yeah. Yeah. I, I there's a lot more. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot more to it than people understand and people perceive to, to mm. actually sort of uh, understand. But... You know, average heart rate's probably 155, 160 for two hours. Yeah, that... Mm. Yeah, but you're not having the physical exertion to go with that. So most of it's stress-related. Mm. Uh, and concentration-wise, if you lose Mental, concentration... Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You, you hit armchair, you hit a wall. Yeah. It's, mm. it's still downside. dangerous. It's still super dangerous. It's it, it, exactly that. And if you're not fit, you're not you know, fit in health, you're not fit in mind. Then you're not going to... It, it's so... These guys are extremely fit. There's no two ways about that. Um, what do you... Um, you mentioned about Formula 1 very much being a platform for, for development and, and using that in, in road cars that we see every day. The more uh, we progress in the world and you look at championships like Formula E, for instance, where that is seemingly becoming more relevant to a road car user than perhaps Formula One is. Where is Formula One's lo long-term future? What do you see it as? Because there's entertainment base, but then... We were chatting about this with Jenny on the last podcast. Where, where, what, what encourages brands, manufacturers to go towards Formula One when actually they see things like Formula E being like, well, actually, that's more relevant for what we want to do with our road car. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting question because you know, unfortunately, no, it's a question that it's a, has yeah. been around forever. Yeah, and F one is F one, so you you we, can't that historic nature. Yeah, of it, you, yeah, you've got the heritage, you've got the fact that it still is cutting edge technology. Mm -hmm. An F1 car is way beyond anything else. The only thing that would come close to it would be a an LMP1 car, a sports yeah. car. Yeah. Um, Formula E, you know, let's not forget. In reality, it's pretty much a kind of production grid. Yeah. You know, because the the basis of it is the same for everybody, give or take the drivetrain. Yeah. You know, so they're the only nuances that change in terms of the manufacturer side. The rest of it is pretty much the same. Same mm -hmm. chassis, same everything else. Whereas F1, there is only one Ferrari team, there is only mm. one Mercedes team, there is only one Racing Point or whatever they call themselves these days. Yeah, um, you know, keep up the pink car. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, it's, it's kind of still got that side to it. And 
Yeah, as I say, it is what it is. I mean, yeah. when it rolls into town, it still commands an audience. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah, and it, and it takes a country that. by storm. It doesn't just come in and say, you know, yeah. we're going to Ascot. It's actually, you know, um, we're the British Grand Prix and mm. England is watching us. Mm. So here's one for you. So you like wheel-to-wheel racing, you know, doors clashing, BTCC style, like into the first corner is chaos. So, and I presume you're more of a combustion engine man than an electric man. I'm presuming. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're, you're, you're presuming right. So, um, with the, the Formula E provides close racing. Like, it, the racing, if you put a giant V8 in there and it sounded wicked, you'd be like, ah, this is cool, I like this, this is quite good racing. What's your take on Formula E from a, um, a sort of an electric standpoint and from a racing perspective? Um, I'm yet to be convinced that it is... Something that would, you know, as a, as a, not as a current driver, but, you know, back in the day if I was a current guy, I don't think I would be drawn to it. Um, and i tell you the reasons why. is because I, I, I think that there is not so much input from the driver in what they're actually doing behind the wheel in as much as steering and, you know, those, those, those skill sets that you use, as is there's more input from actually what they're doing with calculating... And information, you know, absorbing on, am I going to crank back a little bit on saving mm. a bit of energy? Can mm. I actually, you know, regenerate some more energy here? You know, can I just get an extra little bit of uh, you know, extra kilowatts so that I can last yeah. an extra half a lap? So the, so the actual purity of driving the car is slightly removed from the actual engineering and technology side that has become more of a factor in the end result. Yeah. Um, because nine times out of ten, when you watch, the fact that there's a move made is because the guy's just got a little bit more energy left. Yeah, and they've got their boost or exactly. whatever. Yeah, it, it's yeah. not that, mm. you know, I've been tagging the guy for five laps, I've seen where he's weak, and I've got a bit better traction, and I'm yeah. going to come off the corner and make a run on him. It's because, you know, I've got two kilowatts more, so uh, here we go. What Bang. about the the young drivers you come across? Because I, I, harking back to my management days, um, a lot of the younger drivers was were, were starting, this is a, you know, a few years ago when Formula E was probably in season one or two, and a, a lot of the younger guys were like, actually, I want to go down that road towards Formula E now. I'm not that fussed about Formula One. It's so out of reach anyway. I'm going to go down the Formula E route. Do you see that with any of the drivers that you're, you, you talk to? Do they see Formula E as a viable alternative to a hybrid or combustion engine? Um, they see it, but they see it from the reason that it's a grid of drivers who are paid a salary. Yeah, yeah. they get paid a chunky it's wedge a, too, don't and, they? And... Um, you know, and you've got to look at it and go, there's, what, 10 manufacturers there? And Yeah, big manufacturers. Uh, well, what do we get on F1? Four? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Top one, and it? it's the other way around. You're often going to be paying 20 you're, million quid just to get in the car. Right. And that's and, still no guarantee of a seat come the end of this season. Exactly. And that's some of the other issue that I kind of have a bit of a bugbear with, although it's been there for a very, very long time, but to a lesser degree. You know, you just said it yourself. Like, oh, well, there's a car on the grid. Maybe there's 20 million quid yeah. going behind it to fill the seat. Yeah. That's like me turning around and going, well, there's five million euros. I'd like to play in the back four Man U versus Man City. Totally. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, excuse what? me. What? Yeah. yeah. Go away, <laughs> stupid. Yeah. They're meant to be the best drivers in the world, bar none in Formula One, and no disrespect to some drivers, but not all of them have been that amazing. Well, I, I, I'm not even sure that we could get to it uh, even to that point first. I think the fact of the matter is that, you know, shouldn't we have a grid of cars that are funded well enough to actually go, I'm employing you, yes. you, you and you? Yeah. Um, but it's got to a stage where actually like, yeah, we're going to employ you, but by the way, you've got to bring that with you. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Lance Stroll. It's kind of gone out of kilter. Totally. And I don't see any other 
I keep racking my brains with it. Actually, I don't see any other sport that is that's like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's it's for something fundamentally not not quite right. Yeah, with that in, you, with you the sporting sort of, mentality to it. Yeah, and the yeah. other thing for me is like as a driver, all of your skill sets that you learn as a youngster, all of that racecraft, everything. Yeah, I remember you'd do a Formula Ford race. You'd do ten overtaking manoeuvres in ten laps. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be lucky if you do one overtaking manoeuvre in one Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you don't get to use all of your yeah. ability and skills. Yeah, and often if you're if you're not at one of the top teams, you spend most of your, your day looking out for a blue flag and getting out of the That's way. That's the overtake manoeuvre when you're overtaking a lap <laughs> car. Um, let's uh, let's go back to to your career. You've raced in so many different high level championships. I want to hop over the pond to America and talk about your IndyCar uh, experience. What was that like, making that move over to America and, and racing in a, in a championship, which is quite um, quite unique, actually? Um, well, okay, so the, the reasoning behind that actually stems from... I'd done my year at McLaren, 95. Mm. I knew that uh, DC was coming in. I was uh, given a heads-up about that. Uh, Mercedes-Benz were very happy with what we'd done, and, um, you know, if you, and if you look over the course of the season in terms of contribution of points and performances we, we did okay from that they said to me look uh we don't have a situation that we can put you into with uh, f1 but we will give you a engine contract like a lease agreement that you can take to an indycar team so i'm like okay okay i said it's not my first choice but my first choice was to stay in f1 mm. and in fact i had a proposition and something that was available to me for a period of time which would have seen me going to sauber Oh. And I had a, you know, already had some sort of terms in place um, with the blessing of Ford at the time and so forth. And that's kind of where I was heading. But in that interim period, this guy called uh, Dieter Mateschitz turned yeah. up, <laughs> who became a shareholder of Sauber. And from that was kind of like, well, part of the conditions are that I want a Grand Prix winning driver to fill the available seat. Right. And the only seat that, uh, or the only driver that wasn't around in a seat at the time who'd won a Grand Prix was Johnny Herbert. And Johnny got the drive there. So my decision kind of got forced upon me then to go and do something. And it right. was then that I said, right, okay, I'm going to go across the pond. Because I kind of got disheartened with F1 at that point. Mm, yeah. I didn't want to go back and do testing. I've done, you know. You've done that. Yeah. Um, listen, you um, are back in motorsport, but in a very different capacity now. Tell us about uh, MB Motorsport and how that all came about and what are your expectations for this year? Well, look, I, I went back and got behind the wheel again, like, what, 52 years old last year, uh, into touring cars. I'd, I'd always wanted to have a go at touring cars anyway. Um, I, I love what Alan Gale's done with it over the years, and I just think it's a, a great platform. And it is the number one motorsport platform in the UK. Yeah. yeah? Um, but I didn't really hand on heart want to drive a front-wheel drive car. And, in fact, I was going down the route not to have to do that, I was going to be in alignment with doing something with the Subaru cars. Mm -hmm. um, Rear-wheel drive would have suited my requirements. I would have been quite happy. Got changed on us, had to sort of react to it. What was available was front-wheel drive, and we put a deal together. Hindsight, wonderful thing. Um, but in saying that, I came in with some big corporate sponsors, uh, with, with HP and Intel yeah, yeah. Um, and they were the driving force behind me getting back behind the wheel in the first place so we fulfilled our requirements there and from that we've kind of built upon it to look I don't really want to go around in circles anymore especially if it's driving the front wheels because I couldn't get the hang of it um, and uh, I quite like the fact that there's an opportunity to do something still in touring cars and maybe put my name over the door Yeah, fantastic. and that's really where we've gone with it so Sean Hollenby with his team will operate the cars they will be 
quite distinctive in what they look like to relate to me in some form or fashion. Yeah, and yeah. The name's over the door and I'll take on a role that hopefully will be supportive and help. And we will also look after the commercial aspect of the team. Fantastic. So presumably, there's, is there is it going to resemble potentially your helmet design from uh, years gone say. by? Because yeah. <laughs> I've seen some images, but they're, they're just uh, unliveried white or something at the moment, aren't they? The, they're, the just, cars. they're just plain cars. Uh, Honda. Plain, Hondas, yes, plain cars. <laughs> I think I know what they're going to look like. Yeah, yeah. Very, very vanilla or so vanilla, what, whatever the, you want to call it. So, yeah. so what are your <laughs> expectations for, for this year? Are you going into it thinking, come on, boys, this, we can do this? Or is it a bit of a learning, learning year? Yeah. Well, listen, the team uh, won the independence title last year with the Hondas. Um, and that is no mean feat because BCC, yeah, yeah. you don't watch it, it yeah. is the margins between oh, the yeah. cars is incredible. You it's, know, top 20 can be covered by four tenths of a second. Exactly. It is, you know, and also the way that they run it, it gives people opportunity to get a result. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of it. So, again, it boils down to entertainment. Mm. Yeah. You know, and I think that was the beauty of, uh, of running around there last year. Is, uh, being inside, you saw what was there, and actually, I'm like, you know, this has got a lot of potential. Mm. So, but you, I think little Jake Hill, who was my teammate last year, yeah, very very good driver, uh, a lot of time for Jake. Uh, won his first race last year. I'd love to say that I contributed to that, but I don't think I did. Um, <laughs> Moral support. Yes, I think probably so. Go on, boy. But, yeah, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, him in a Honda with the team have got a huge amount of potential. Yeah. So. I'd like to feel that there is some possibilities of getting some strong results. Uh, Sam Osborne's still quite um, young in his experience with touring cars, but I think, again, putting him in the environment and, you know, having all of this experience, you get to a stage where you can start to work out how drivers tick mm. and what you need to do to get the most out of them. Uh, some of them are very different characters yeah. and some have got to be treated differently to others. So what our job is now is to try and, you know, maximise both of our guys. Mm. And that will be done, I think, in different ways. But I think at the end of the day, we hope that they will get, you know, enhanced performance, which will give us uh, better results. Um, Shall we uh, do our little quiz? Yeah, let's do it. It's time for our, this is called Motor Mouths. And we've got sound effects and everything. <laughs> so um, I have four clips to play you uh, and they're related to you. Uh, now I'll just get my notes up here. And basically what I want you to do is uh, if you can guess uh, what's happening, what's being said. Uh, so let me just get right, here we are. Right, okay, let's do, let's get rid of that. Thank you very much. Uh, so this is you, what, but what are you talking about? Have a little listen. And we just haven't done any laps, that's the problem. But, um, you know, I'm having a little bit of brake problems with the car at the moment. Uh, so I just run off in the pit lane coming in just because the brake pedal's trembling down too far and catching the roll pedal, so... But, you know, it's all an experiment. <laughs> this is going back quite a long this way. This is going back, I, will, I think this is a hard one. But if you can get it, I'm, I'll be very impressed. So you've sort of, you've cut, oh, I'll give you a little hint. You've come into a pit lane... Uh, and you sort of had a little excursion with the gravel trap on the way in. Was it in the UK? No. no. Was it in Germany? No. no. It was at Le Mans. I'll give you that. Uh, oh. Oh. Was if it you, 2002? Close. Ooh. 2001. 2001. 2001. Yeah. What, what were you driving? Do you remember? <clears throat> was it an MG? Yeah. 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 I'll give you that. Give you that. Yeah. Yeah. You're giving yeah. it a whole point. 
No, I'll give him half point. Yeah, yeah I'll take half. half point. I'll take yeah. half. half point. I'll take half. I had a lot of help. <laughs> yeah. You've got the cars. So, you know, MG Sport and Racing, Lola car, uh, yes. and you come in and being, it, it's all it's a bit of an experiment, you're saying. Yeah. 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 Went in the sand pit. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so in, in the, end, the entry to pit was a well, bit Well, listen, you, you just got to try and understand what traction is available at that point. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, 24 hour race, there is a situation where you could end up in the sand. Yeah. Which yeah. you did. Better try it before the race starts. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Test right. the facilities. Number professional stuff. <laughs> professional. Ever the professional. Number two. Um, who are you talking to and what about? Yeah, I didn't do very well. I admit that. But what about 12 months' time if I come back and uh, maybe give you another run for your money? <laughs> Was that with Kimmy? Yes. 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 The Kimster. Um, yes, that was, doing a, that was doing a, a fitness. Uh, yeah. A fitness comparison. Well, it wasn't a comparison. It was a joke, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, we did have some laughs actually making that. That was a good like, what I found it on YouTube and I was watching it. It was yeah, quite yeah, very entertaining. Yeah. And yeah. Kimmy's a great guy, you know, so, um, but oh, oh my God, I was out of shape and still am. <laughs> oh, I yeah. joined the clay, but you still proved you could race. So uh, number three, oh, so that's a point, you get that. So yeah. uh, number three, what crash is being described here? Oh yeah. Oh, his motor was definitely going. Somebody was very lucky there. That looked awful. Oh. Oh, that's that, a lucky impact. That's a lucky impact for him to walk away. Real? And I'll tell you who else was lucky. Was it looked that like no, his teammates? Maybe not Team so lucky. 1996. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah, He's I do on remember ground. that. Do you remember how many G you took? 122. Yes. Yeah. And 198 miles an hour impact. And I remember every single moment of that because really? I never got knocked out. Really? So, um, when they so say you got out of the car, but then you then you fell on, it fell onto the yeah, track. Yeah, so. my foot was broken in a few oh. places, and um, oh. I had a few other injuries because my lungs and ribs had collided and ripped oh the cartilage my. muscle off the sternum. But because oh um, I hit concrete, there's yes, no tires. Uh, yeah. The day after they put tires. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that was break That's failure. the past. But yeah, well, yeah, you narrowly missed your teammate as well. No, I when, tried to um, hit my teammate. <laughs> If you're going, he's coming with you. No, 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 I, I purposely tried to hit him because I knew if I if I went into concrete at that speed, yeah, I mean, the chances are I'm not going to survive. Oh. And um, did everything slow down like people say? Did he? Did you see? Think? Oh, not that here one. It comes. Not, not that, that one. one. <laughs> this one's happening really fast. Oh, no, that, was, that was just scary, uh, that, that was full on scary. Since yeah, no, that's I, you know to this day I can still feel. Oh god! But the biggest thing with that is actually the noise. Yeah, hitting concrete at that speed. The, the noise will stay with me for all of my life. The You're impact, actually lucky great. to be alive after that impact. Yeah, I mean, this, I... Uh, that changed your mentality at all. Not, well, uh, a guy called Malcolm Osler uh, designed that car, yeah. uh, Australian designer, and uh, and then went on into F1 and stuff with BAR. But uh, even Malcolm came to see me and um, he said, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I thought you were dead. Yeah. He said, you know, I, I know the stresses and strains, what the car could take, and I just thought there's no way. Yeah. So incredibly lucky. Um <sighs> huge amount of injuries and a funny story with that so um with hindsight no no it's a funny story i'll tell you why because um i left heathrow airport go to brazil because the race was in rio yeah got on the plane sat next to this lady brazilian lady and uh, we just got talking she's like oh i'm going back to brazil because mother and sunday so i'm going back to see my mother i said oh great i said um yeah she said, what are you doing i'm going because i'm racing doing this race at the weekend she's like oh funny my son is a mechanic for the Minardi Formula 1 team oh small world and then I said okay well what do you do she goes well I work uh, as an actress I'm on the stage in the West End so but I'm just popping back for this this weekend anyway so long flight 
go off to sleep. At the end of the flight, say, see you later. Nice to have met you. So she turns around. She goes, oh, yeah, brilliant. Like, break a leg. <laughs> and I turn around. I'm like, oh, don't say that to a race driver. No. I mean, that's just not, yeah. And that was that. Yeah, the end of that. So the curse. The whole weekend goes on. I've nearly got wiped out from this you know, yeah. horrendous crash. It was all over Brazilian media bet, yeah. and you know, newspapers and TV. Uh, I actually went into hospital. I was actually out of the car and I did an interview after that crash. So there's an interview on ESPN where I, my eyes are like golf balls, so wide. Um, I was on one crutch. Uh, but what happened is, as the day went on, about seven o'clock at night, my body shut down. All the injuries kind of like got yeah, top of yeah, me. Yeah. So adrenaline had taken over. Yeah. So I got rushed into hospital. Two days after that, I checked myself out because uh, they had no MRI. So I had no MRI, I had uh, no oh, CAT scan. Um, the only thing I'd had done is an X-ray where they then put a really dodgy plaster cast on. And the crutches, by the way, were supplied by my teammate Maurizio Guggenman's niece, he was 12 years old and I just had a broken leg and because there was no crutches at the circuit. Oh, my yeah? God. So the medical backup was uh, horrendous. So I checked myself out, got back on the plane, leg up in the air, all a bit wonky, looked across the cabin and there's the same lady. No. Oh, my God. And she looked at me and I've looked at her and she'd come over and she says, I am so sorry. My fault entirely. Yeah, she said, I had no way of contacting you. I didn't know what to say, what to do, but I saw everything on television and I'm thinking to myself... I told this guy to break his <laughs> leg. Oh, yeah. Bloody well did. Yeah. Oh, no. so there you go. I love these oh, anecdotes. That is a brilliant story. You don't yeah. hear these sorts of yeah, anecdotes yeah. Yeah. from Monday oh. drivers. It's, it's the, the best one that I heard from you was, um, it was like a Williams shakedown or something with the, the leak. With the leak. Oh, yeah. I, mean, wait, yeah. I don't know this one. Oh, yeah. you've got it. You've got yeah. it oh, and that was just testing at Pembury and uh, doing the active rise suspension. Yeah. With a gentleman called Paddy Lowe. Oh, yeah. And Paddy went on to much bigger things, but... Um, yeah, we were sort of running around and around and around and around. And uh, in the end, I've come in. I said, oh, come on, guys, this is ridiculous. And I said, like, you know, there's a massive leak in the cockpit of the car. And they're looking at me. They're going, oh, well, all the pressures are good. Everything on the data. And they've all got their heads in the cockpit. And like, I think Patrick was there, actually, head as well. And like, lo and behold, like, as, I, as they've all got their heads and I pull out this Welsh leak. <laughs> <laughs> Big Welsh leak. <laughs> they, they didn't see the funny side at the time. <laughs> that it. is brilliant. Oh, oh, yeah, you got a bit of fun, haven't uh, you? I, um, I did five laps of that between my legs, which is a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> all for the joke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, okay, well, I've got one more clip for you. You've done well so far, to be fair, on top of our leaderboard at the moment is Jenny with four points. So you've got her to beat. Can't, you get can't, be, beat. can't be beaten. Can't be done. You get a bonus point? Last one? Oh, oh, Sod it. Go on then. Hang on. Yeah. Hey, this game just takes new rules every time. Let me, let me check the answer first and see if we can... Uh, I think this will be... The question is, uh, well, who is the who is the Brazilian and what happened? Wait a sec. Is there anything else we can add to this question for the extra half point? Uh, you, what, if you can get the year. Yeah, okay. Yeah? If you can get the year, you get an extra point. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. The Brazilian was flying all over the tail of the McLaren when... Tough. Tough one. Tough. Do you want it again? Yeah, one more time, please. The Brazilian was flying all over the tail of the McLaren when... Oh, wow, that is difficult. Mm. So it's a Brazilian driver in so question with you. No. Right. Brazilian driver back then. Rubens. Uh-huh. That's the one. Silverstone. Well, it's 95 I recognised it as a Rubens Barrichello into the back of you yeah it must have been yeah, and I went across the line on three wheels he's only yeah. gone and got the half go on we'll get yeah, it to you that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. that's what threw me when you said it wasn't that year but um, 
Yeah, okay. top, well, well, top, well, equal top with Jenny Gow. Jenny Gow who's is... bottom? Uh, Catherine Bond. Oh, go ahead, you say it. Muir. Well done. Uh, and then Abby Eaton, who is a racing driver for the WC's three and a half. Jenny Gow is on four, and you are now on four. And also because we had a, we ran it last 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 season as well. So uh, Adam Christodoulou won it. Um, he got eight actually because we did a high scoring number oh. but, um, but yeah and Perry McCarthy was on there as well he got about five Perry I was. think on that one Mad Perry. Dog Mad yeah, Dog, Mad yeah. dog. Yeah, you're good chums with Perry aren't you uh, it's, there's a little group of us that's why we call him Mad Dog we've yeah. all got nicknames yeah. <laughs> who's your best racing pal yeah or is there a group no, it would be, it would be uh, Mad Dog and Brundle so they'd be my biggest uh, yeah Perry and Martin would be the yeah. closest guys on a racetrack and off of it sort of. you have your annual yeah. get together don't you it's, it's we we do have an annual get together where um, the Rat Pack as that's it's so it. called that's the one get together annually where we start sort of at lunchtime and it's last man standing so oh, um, I love it and uh, yeah most of us are pretty much lightweights when it comes to drinking so by about six o'clock we've all gone home we've got feet up <laughs> pipe slippers back to bed um, look let's should we finish up with our, our final few questions yeah sure yeah uh, go ahead Harold so what's got you excited at the moment can be absolutely anything um, I think the, the team with British Touring Cars is yeah. exciting at the moment uh, saying that I have also a huge amount of excitement with uh, one of my drivers Mike Conway I think he's got another great chance to take the honours at Le Mans and I think he fully deserves them. Um, we've got some youngsters coming through. Because it's that time of the year, so season hasn't started. Mm. Yeah, everything's so, a bit of a, yeah, yeah, although we've got WEC and we've got the super season, but uh, most of our guys still haven't got the season underway. So I've got all of our young guys, Callum Eilert in F2, yeah. Ian Dewis, F3, Louis Foster, F3, um, you know, uh, Bent Viscal, European F3. So we've got some great guys that uh, were really sort of like revved up to see what they do on track. Good. Let's just hope the bloody coronavirus doesn't scupper us too much this season. Yes, 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 yes. Um, go on, Tim, you're next. If not racing, uh, broadcasting, managing drivers, all the various things you do, what would you have done if you'd not gone down this path? God's honest truth, I think I would have been a car dealer. Uh, that's the only thing I kind of knew. Yeah. So, um, fortunately, I was sort of reasonably good at going around in circles fast, but, uh, or I could have been a black cabbie. Okay. Yeah. Know the, know the London roads? Yeah, well, I don't think I'd have learnt the knowledge, but I think I could have got there fast anyway. Yeah. So if I did make a mistake, it doesn't like, matter. But God, you should yeah. have been a racing driver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, how much would you say about your success in your career, you know, motorsport and obviously what's happened after your racing career, of your success is, is about luck and right place, right time, and how much is down to, to pure hard work? Uh, listen, like, you know, everybody needs a little bit of luck, mm. but I'm a great believer that you can make and break luck. Uh, and that's by hard graft. Yeah, so, you know, age old cliche, but you don't put nothing in, you don't get nothing out. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And I think a lot of guys, especially from my sort of generation, you know, a lot of us got there on merit. And that was the, the, the beauty of it. We all sort of arrived there, and especially from my little scene. I mean, because there was a massive crop of us that made it to F1. Yeah. I think probably more so than any other sort of generation of drivers. When yeah. you actually look, there's probably a good five or six of us in one go that mm. arrived on the scene. Um, and we all put our efforts in, you know, and um, and some was uh, good, some was bad, so these are the highs and lows. Um, but you know, hard work never killed anybody. It's yeah. uh, it, it, No matter what it, what it is and what you're doing. And self-belief, I think that's a lot of mm. what I see from the youngsters that we manage. A lot of them don't believe in themselves enough to have the confidence to carry themselves to the next stage. 
And it's kind of almost like you've got to tell them that, you know what, you are good enough. Mm. You know, it's like believe in yourself, you know, project that you are good enough to get that job done. Um, and I think some of that's driven off the back of the world today. You, know, yeah. you hear a lot about this, like, oh, well, I've, you know, the, uh, the girls looked at this magazine and seen this supermodel. And it's kind of like the guys looked and seen this driver and perceived that you should be like that. Which actually, you know, you can get to that. But first of all, you've got to do this. It's yeah. the max effect, isn't it? Well, you know, everyone thinks mm. when he suddenly burst onto the scene, everyone's like, well, I can do that. You know, and well, it's, not, it's not that straightforward. But you know, th- those those guys come along once every ten years or yeah. something. You know, it's uh, you know that, that, that little one percent club is very exclusive. Yeah. So if you don't manage to quite make the one percent club, make the two percent club. Mm. But you're still going to need to put some hard work in. Yeah. Mm. Uh, a couple of quick fire uh, ones left for you. I've turned the final four into about a final seven. But okay. Screw it. Um, <laughs> what are you scared of? Spiders. Um, oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. Nah, I'm. Uh, I'm scared of a lot of things. The, the biggest uh, for me would be heights. Oh, really? I hate heights. I can't see anyone who would enjoy heights. I don't though, mind them. Either. Don't really? mind them. What? No, a lot of people yeah. don't mind them. Um, and also, I got a little bit of a, a little bit of a tricky thing with um, balconies and railway platforms. Oh, interesting. So I don't know. I'm laughing. It's just a bit yeah, railway no, platforms. Uh, no, it, so I go on a balcony. Yeah. I feel the urge to jump. jump. <laughs> no. I, I go on a railway platform. I feel, I feel the, the urge, urge to jump. jump. Yeah. And it's kind of like behind so, the yellow line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't ask me why. I, I know what that. the outcome's going to be. Yeah, but it's just pretty, pretty bad. But I just yeah. Oh, I've got God. my my weirdest. Uh, Someone's going to write in now and say that's oh, yeah. weird. Okay. Yeah. It's not as weird as this. So I've got a really weird one. Have I told you about my weird fear? Which is a genuine phobia, and you can look it up on Google, and it will tell you this is a real thing. I I can feel my skin going just thinking about it I haven't even said it I've got a phobia of tiny holes oh, tiny holes. holes so like if you imagine like it's making me go weird just talking about it if you imagine like perforated skin or a sponge or yeah. anything with lots and lots and lots of tiny tiny holes it freaks me out it's the weirdest thing I've ever heard like, my life. hair is now standing on end just thinking about it really? it's yeah. an actual condition Wow. Yeah. I feel pretty good now. Yeah, yeah. I think you're fine. Yeah. I'm a bit, bit yeah. weird. I, I don't, you shouldn't talk about that. No. Let's, edit that bit. Let's edit that bit out. Have you seen that microphone in front of you? <laughs> yeah, lots of tiny little holes. <laughs> yeah. um, any hidden talents outside of racing that the public don't know about? Oh, my God. Can you play any instruments? No. Can't That's read quick. music. Can't play instrument. Language? No. Never went to school. Oh, good point. Can you move your ears independently? No. <laughs> no. Can you? Yeah, I can. Oh, that's quite good. Uh, I can flex my muscles like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Still that's got it. Get, get the pecs going. That's about it. Yeah. That'll do it. That's it. That's it. That's pretty poor, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I like it, though. Yeah. I like it that's about lot. the only thing I can think I can do. Fair enough. Yeah. No. I'm really disappointed. It's good. <laughs> People always think of one after we've finished the recording. No, I don't oh, think I will, Harry. I think that's it, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, last one. Very last one. Um, Greatest of all time, one word. As in greatest driver? Yeah. Oh, Senna. Yeah. Go. Well, listen, um, Mark Blundell, it's been a, an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, best of luck this year in British mm. Touring Cars, and we'll we'll be there, I'm sure, during the season in a paddock somewhere. We might even be at Donington, let's see. Um, but uh, we'll see you up and down the racing circuit, I'm sure. Good luck with the business and with everything else you've got going on. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Pleasure to be on Motor Mouth, and uh, hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for listening and giving up your time for us. We'll be back with another episode soon. If you've missed any of the previous episodes, you can take a hop back in your chosen podcast player and find them all there. And don't forget, there's also loads more content on MMT 
TV and the Motormouth app available to download on any device now. Uh, and to continue uh, to allow us to help create lots of cool content and to keep making these podcasts, we want to let you know about our new patron program and how you can join it just starts from five pounds a month to 10 or 20 each tier allows you slightly different levels of access depending on which one you choose you can enjoy early access to podcast episodes exclusive member benefits merchandise shout outs add your chance to feature on one of our shows any support you can give us is massively appreciated and will help us grow and continue to bring cool content to race fans all over the world just search for us on patreon.com or you can find out all the details across our socials on twitter it's at motormouth underscore instagram at motormouth underscore official and on facebook just search motormouth like subscribe and review if you feel so inclined as well it really helps people to find the podcast but in the meantime from myself and tim we'll catch you next time